Yeah. <laughs> it can event. Yeah. I'm in the search for peace at least and a better spot to settle. My brother said the Americans have Hey everybody, welcome to the show Community Spread. I'm your host Kevin Lundell. On the pod today, we have August the Great. You got it, guys. We finally got August to come on the pod. You have been listening to his music this whole time at the beginning of the pod. You probably just listened to it on the way into this pod. We are so grateful to have him here today to uh, go through the lyrics of that incredible song that we get to hear every time called America's Heaven's Got a Ghetto. And also to hear his story. He really has an incredible story that has led him to be inspired and write these kinds of lyrics and to share them with his community here in Ogden. So I'm really excited for you all to be able to hear this conversation and learn about the man behind the music. And with that, it leads us into the part of the podcast where I tell you a little bit about what I've been thinking about and what I've been learning about. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about what is going on in the Biden administration right now and what it means for America and what this election is going to mean for the most vulnerable among us, for those who we listen to and have conversations with on this podcast. And it's going to mean a lot. And I think we're seeing that very quickly. Today, Congress passed the latest stimulus bill, and this stimulus bill has some really, really important items in it. If you are like me and think the richest country in America shouldn't have kind of the staggering poverty rates that we have, and that those poverty rates uh, disproportionately affect communities of color that we've talked about on this podcast, that we actually get to talk about with August in this podcast, well then, this latest bill that just passed is going to go a long way to combat some of that poverty. According to an analysis by Columbia University, the latest stimulus will reduce poverty by a third, lifting nearly 13 million, million Americans out of it. And childhood poverty is set to be reduced by almost half. Almost half of our children in this country that are living in poverty are going to be lifted from it. We know how much poverty can be an adverse childhood event that leads to future possibilities of all, all kinds of ailments and problems that even include early death. This package that has just passed is one of the most progressive in history and is going to do so much to lift those less fortunate into a more fortunate circumstance that can make be the difference between life and death. This package will boost incomes of the bottom 20% of Americans by almost 33%. It does this by raising the child tax credit to uh, what turns out to be $300 a month for children under six and just a little bit less than that for children over six. And where usually you would have to wait till your taxes to get that tax credit back, now it can actually be distributed every single month. So it turns out to be kind of a guaranteed universal basic income for families with kids. So that means that single mother of three that came to my office the other day, whose uncle brought her in because she needed some care, is now going to have a $900 
child care allowance that's going to change her life. It's going to make such a big difference. It's going to allow her to send her kids to daycare if she needs to so she can go to work. It's going to allow her to provide the basic needs for her kids so that she can put food on the table. And it takes her out of just a terrible, really stressful situation so she can get above her basic needs and focus on thriving. The other thing this stimulus package does is it shores up the subsidies given in the Affordable Care Act. So if you are like me and you can't get insurance through uh, your employer, then you have to go try to buy insurance. And now through the Affordable Care Act, uh, there has all, there has been for you know a decade or so now a way to go buy healthcare and get some subsidies from the government. Those subsidies are going to be increasing, which means. Some people that were not able to buy insurance are now going to be able to buy insurance. It means for some families that had to buy really uh, plans with high deductibles and and small premiums, but made it so healthcare, when you went to use it, it was actually very expensive. It's going to make you so you'd be able to buy a better plan with better coverage. So that means a lot less out-of-pocket expense when you go to use your healthcare for a lot of families. The other thing this does is it actually is going to make it so more people get insured. It's going to make it so uh, before uh, before this bill passed, if you were a single person who made more than $51,000 a year, you were not eligible for uh, an insurance subsidy. If you were a family of three that made uh, above $87,000, you weren't uh, eligible for a subsidy. And that meant you had to go buy these plans at full price. And as someone who has shopped these plans, they are very expensive for very little that you actually get in return. And it was a cliff. If you make $88,000 and you're a family of three, you get nothing. If you make $86,000, you get a pretty generous subsidy. And so now that is going to change. So there's no cliff. There will be eligibility for those families that make more. If you're a family of three making $87,000 a year, um, you know, you're certainly not in the poverty level, but healthcare is really important. And, and, those healthcare plans for family of three can cost upwards of $1,000 and you still have a $5,000 deductible. It's pretty, pretty rough. So that's going to make a big difference in those uh, middle income families. And basically, all I'm saying here is that our elections matter and they matter in real ways. And we're seeing the fruits of that right now in this stimulus package. I, for one, am really excited about the progress that this means. The progress that this means for um, our communities of color. The communities of color are going to benefit from this the most. Uh, unfortunately, that means that the most of the, that they are disproportionately among those suffering in poverty, but uh, it is a way that is going to help lift some of those families out of poverty and into a better circumstance that they can have their basic needs met. I, for one, am excited about that and about the future of that. So, with that, our conversation with August the Great. Look how far we all came, we made it to this land of surprise. Though the prophecy says we all been to a brass. Spread the word, let it be known the heavens set us around. Hey, everybody. Super excited to have August the Great on the podcast today. August, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Community spread. I'm happy to be here. And just, you know, have a conversation with you guys. I'm happy to be here. It's an honor. Awesome. Yeah, you know, I mean, we've been listening to your work 
America's Heaven's Got a Ghetto uh, at the opening and closing of this podcast for, I, I think, at least 30 episodes now. And I tell you what, every time it comes on, like that beat drops and I, I hear those lyrics and it, it just, it really sets the tone for the show. And, and I love it. I can't believe it took us this long to have Jan. So I'm super excited to hear, hear and learn a little bit more about the man behind the music. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Uh, uh, America's Heaven's Get- uh, America's Heaven's Got a Ghetto is, um, it's, it's a song that came from having a conversation with just, you know, my friends and people around the community. So I'm excited to talk about it and to even, you know, have you play in the podcast. You know, I, I appreciate the opportunity to work with you on that. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about, I want to know about your background. Like, obviously, this, these, this music and, these, and the lyrics and everything comes from, from a deep place. When did you first start getting into music? Is it like part of, is it into your, built into your DNA? When did you first start getting into, into music? Let me, let me, uh, let me, let me take, let me take my time to answer that question. <laughs> my, my, my mother's brother was a musician, right? And he played a guitar. And this is like during, you know, the Bob Marley era where, you know, it, 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 Bob Marley had a concept of trying to use music to, to put a stop to racism because he think mu- music was a beautiful thing and a very powerful tool that could unite people. So during that period, my mother's brother was constantly into reggae music, right? And he was listening and I kind of cut up because, you know, I kind of cut up with it because whenever they come to the house in the backyard, they would sit down and just play the guitar and I would listen to, you know, I always, I always, I always loved lyrics, you know, even from when I was young. I always loved to listen to the lyrics and I would listen to the song as they sing and it just kind of stuck in. And as I grow up listening to the music that even my mom and my dad play at home, you know, just kind of built and built and built into that to, you know, what we have today as, you know, me being a musician also from, you know, it's like a cousin effect thing, you know what I mean? And, um, and, and that's where we are today. That's where I think, the, not that I think, that's where I know the influence came from, listening to a yeah. whole lot of different genre from reggae to, to jazz. Back in Nigeria, that's what we call Afro beats and what we call high life. It was created by a, a, a legendary musician called Filakuti, who was an activist in you know, the Nigerian music scene. And he's very popular all around the world. And we will listen to this guys. And from there, I kind of just, you know, I kind of just love it. And I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to be part of that. Awesome. Uh, if you, if you hear, uh, August is a family man. So he's got his family in the background, you know, uh, five, three and one back there. So as you know, uh, all you parents out there, the, 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 the you know, uh, zoom meetings, uh, working from home, everybody gets, gets the, the family in the background. That's part of, part of it. It's part of the, what we remember about this time. So it's so great. So you mentioned in there that you, uh, born and raised in Nigeria. Is that yes, correct? Sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Tell us born a little bit raised. about born and raised. Uh, tell us a little bit about your, your family during that time and what was home like and, and was music part of that? We love music. You know, music is something that our people love and have so much respect for. And, you know, we love to express ourselves through it. You know, so 
like I said, coming from a home where there was a lot of music and there was a lot of tradition in music, you know, that I was listening to, it, it, it was amazing because, you know, music is a way for us as Africans or as black people, it's a way for us to heal and for us to also have a, well, during times we don't, we can't go to the gym. It's through the music that we can be able to have our physical exercise. We can dance, you know, we could, we could do all this other stuff for music and just help us with our mental state It provide happiness for the soul. And just music is something that's very big back home and wherever you go in church to school to even workplace you know you hear music you have people playing music and listening to music and just feeling the vibe and trying to be happy yeah. off off the energy they get from the music yeah. you know so you can you can really tell um in your music and in the lyrics that uh it is a part of you and it's a part of your character and, and so uh leading from that and hearing your culture and everything, I want to cue up our song, uh, your song that you allow us to play on our show, America's Heaven's Got a Ghetto. Uh, and we're going to play a little game. We're going to play a game we've played on the show before. It's called OK Stop. So August, either you or me, we're going to play the song. At any point, we can say, OK, stop. And we'll talk about it. All right. I, I may ask you some questions about it, or, or you can just say, you can just stop us and you can just be like, hey, this is what, this is, that, this line was uh, something that was really important to me, or, you know. Right. Uh, so we'll, we'll do it. Sound good? Sounds good. Yeah. It can vent. Yeah. I'm in the search for peace, at least. In a better spot to settle. My brother said the Americans haven't got a ghetto. He told me around here that's a lot of federal. I troll in the block, I swear it's hard not the metal. Or that was just the peak of what the next man to him. Situation report and just mess okay, stop. And you Tell me okay, about you you're you're talking about your brother and you said that he said America's heaven got a ghetto. What what does that what does that mean? That, that lyrics, like I said, it, it came from just having conversation with people that are very close to me. And, you know, coming from a faraway life, you know, to the United States where our perception of, you know, what life is here, it's, it's, it's way different because of what we see in TV compared to when you come over here and actually see what's happening and see what's going on, right? So I was having a conversation with, you know, my brother and um, we were just talking about the American society and places that we've been and the history with redlining, the history with redlining where you were moved from certain locations to another location and you will see difference from, you, 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 you can identify the difference from the houses and from when you look at the people and how they behave and how they talk. Where we're talking about the ghettos and the project where you you see people with um, people that live in a low income that comes from a low income environment 
that I don't have a lot of opportunity compared to, you know, when you go to the suburb where everything looks amazing. You know, little kids can play in the streets and run around without worrying about police stopping yeah. them or interrogating them compared to whereas the ghetto where young black kids don't have that luxury, not only being afraid of the police, but, you know, we're talking about gang banging, you know what I mean? The street life, you could get hit by a straight bullet and things like that. So that's where their lyrics came from. When I did the yeah. comparison, just from walking around, looking at places and places that I've been and live, I'm like, when I compare, it's way, it's this place look more like hell, people leaving in hell compared to like the suburb where it looks like it's paradise, it's high five and bubble gum, everybody is smiling and all happy. So that's where their lyrics came from. Well, in, in Nigeria, when you're there and, and you said you, you get this, this idea of America from TV, is that where that America's heavens got uh, or is, is in your mind? Is it's like, it's like, oh, there's this perception that there's this heaven, but then you got here and there's a different reality. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because, you know, like, you know, like I said, even now that I've been here, when I watch how they portray, you know, the continents, the motherland, it's it's not what it really is compared to when you go there and see how beautiful it is. You know, so it's it's information control. You know what I mean? When I was back home, the things that I would see or watch from movies, it was always nice. You know, you, you it looks like there was no struggle compared to when I came here and the different places that I've been to and seen things. And I'm like, wow, it's, it's, there are people really stuck in bad predicament or living in an environment that's, that's, that's not good for them. Yeah. So, you know, that's where that, the reality came yeah. when, I, when I came here and I saw it, I'm like, oh, it's not really what we thought it was. You know what I mean? The, so, the level of inequality exactly was something you it weren't way off. expecting and didn't see. It, it was way off. You know, there's no, when you think about America, you think about, this is before I, I came here. When you think about America, you think everything is perfect. You think, you think this, this equality, this equity, you know, being a, a nation that proclaims to be, you know, the greatest or the best in the world, you think everything works the way it's supposed to compared to when you actually leave in the country, in neighborhoods or environment and see that it's not really what he seemed to be, you know, that, that, that's, that's, that's more to it, you know? So that's where that lyrics came from. America's heaven's got a ghetto knowing that even like, we're talking about the project, which is an experiment to see, let's take out all our white brothers and sisters and put them in a different neighborhood and put in our black brothers and sisters in this neighborhood and see how they'll function with, with bad housing, with, with low inferior jobs, with no mm -hmm. opportunity. Let's see if this experiment will work with, with drugs and the environment and all these things. And now that we see that it's not working, it's a slow process to even fix it. We know the root cause of the problem, but not we're not tackling the root cause of the problem. We're trying to just, yeah. you know, put Band-Aid over a broken arm. You know what I mean? So that's where, just my observation, I observe things wherever I go, I move around. And when I look at it, I'm like, okay, America is a heaven, but then it's got a ghetto where it has 
poor white people and people of color live. Yeah. And these people are struggling on a daily basis. Like, what are we doing as human beings to 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 see that our brothers and sisters are not only surviving, but living life to the fullest? Yeah. Well, I love it, man. I think it describes the situation perfectly. Dan, roll it up. Store all pawn shop, they are thick with alcohol. They be drinking nonstop, I swear. I hear the sell gets a click for real. Don't let me get in these facts, I dip. The government supplying the people crack for chip. Brainwashing the folks, every single cat's asleep. Though that Jim Crow side of it trapped in a mind state. And it seemed like we had a peak of the crime rate. Okay, stop. So tell me about this, this these lines here, it seems like the lines here, you're talking about the government kind of influence over this state that you kind of described earlier, um, as you as you use the word, you know, the government supply and crack, Jim, Co the Jim Crow side effect. Tell, tell me about where those lyrics come from. So if you, even recently, this was like back in, back in uh, 2014, 2016, there was a video on YouTube that was floating around. And I just wanted to talk about this present situation that I've seen before I take it back to, you know, the 90s. There, there was a unmarked government van, uh, unmarked vans driving around in Chicago, dropping weapons off and bullets in the, in the project, in the ghettos in Chicago. You hear about the violence that's going on in, in the cities and in the states. And then you see these videos of unmarked vans dropping off these things in a place where there's already, there's already violence going on, drug abuse and all these other things going on and you're dropping weapons. When I saw that video and it, people, uh, when you go to the comments and not just the comments, the young man that was recording what he is saying was saying, we don't know where this van came from, but it just came and dropped off these guns and there's bullets and you have young black boys just taking him and you know what they do with it. They rob and, and, and kill one another in the community due to the fact that, you know, it's not a lot of opportunity. Now let's take it back to the nineties, the crack era, where if you go to New York city, if you go to the Bronx or maybe Brooklyn or Queens and ask brothers and sisters about you know, the Reagan administration, they'll tell you what happened. This was a time where life was hard in the Bronx for, you know, people of color. And out of nowhere, an helicopter drop of cocaine. Out of nowhere. I think uh, Netflix have an, an episode of, you know, this information that I'm talking about. So the government then, I don't, I, I cannot talk about now if it's 100%, but I know there are things going on which is specifically set up to target people of color and people that come from, you know, on the privileged community. Well, back in the 90s, during the Reagan era, if you, if you like I said, if you go to the Bronx, they'll tell you that, you know, they, they, they used the catchphrase, you know, the kingpin is Ronald Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> Or if you watch the boondocks, they'll tell you that, you know, Ronald Reagan was the devil and, you know, things of that nature. Because dropping crack cocaine in a community where you have people that don't have better education, no, no opportunity, 
going in and out of jail. And then they don't have, they, they either work in a low income job, uh, a, a, a low inferior job. And then you have all of a sudden, there's drugs, cocaine, right? From this helicopter that just dropped this thing off and just go away. And then you have, you know, both Puerto Ricans and black started selling drugs to their own people. And now you have the feds coming in again to raid and do arrest and take these people back into jail. Now, instead of rehabilitation, they put them in jail. Now, young black boys don't have their parents, their mom and dad at home. And even if they are at home, they're either addicted to drugs and have no hope. You know, so I kind of go back. I was reading a lot during that period. I wrote that, you know, that song. And I wanted to talk about that. And hopefully if I have the opportunity to explain where the inspiration come, which is what I'm doing now that you've given me. So that's where that lyrics yeah. came from. Yeah. I mean, it's a stark, it's a stark contrast between uh, the way drugs are handled in the suburbs. You know, mm -hmm. when we talk, when we're talking about uh, opioids, you know, right. Uh, the, the, the white, white middle and upper class is consuming, has consumed a lot of, illegal opioids, uh, whether they be illegal or, or legally got through, through doctors, um, mm -hmm. who were just passing them out like candy. And, you know, that, that crisis that, that is being handled now is being treated through rehabilitation and not through right. jail, right. you know, cops now that carry Narcan to help, uh, people who are overdosing from opioids and, and instead right. of coming in with guns to break down the walls and, uh, you know, put throw people in prison. So it's, it's just a stark, stark contrast. Uh, this other lyric right here that says, uh, tell me about the gym is it the Jim Crow side effect trapped in the, in the mind state. That very part, that very part I was reading. What book was I reading? I was reading the new Jim Crow, right? Oh man. Yeah. I was reading the new Jim Crow and I was also learning about, I don't know if you've heard about Willie Lynch. He, I think he was a plantation owner in the Caribbean, in Jamaica. And he kind of came up with a way to subdue the slaves and to make them work in his favor that there would never be an uproar or an uprise or a revolution to overthrow him. He kind of came up with a strategy and written down rules and guidelines to subdue this slave. And seeing that he succeeded with this plan that he came up, you have plantation owners from the United States reaching out to Willie Lynch to give him the same principles or the same rules what's that the they playbook? came up with. Right, what's the playbook? And he came and he taught them. Now we're talking about Willie Lynch syndrome. Fast forward to Jim Crow era where as a person of color, there are certain locations and there are certain jobs, there are certain schools, there are certain sports you cannot play due to the pigmentation on your skin. Now, the Jim Crow side effect stalking in my state today, even when I was leaving in New York City, there are certain places that you would walk around as a black person, yourself, you're self-conscious you're because it's either you know there are no black people living in this neighborhood and somebody's gonna call the cops on you. So you're constantly afraid 
that is that that's the effect of Jim Crow. Mm. If there was no Jim Crow, people would not. I mean, if we have freedom to do whatever we want, whatever we want, or to go wherever we want as human beings, we ought not to have this fear or or, or or this thought of I'm not welcome here. But because of you know the Jim Crow, it's still stuck in the minds of black people or other people of color, knowing that there are certain places you're not welcome in and you're not allowed to be. So even though Jim Crow has been lifted up, the 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 side effect still lives amongst our people where you know uh, it's just it, it, we are afraid to be ourselves when we're wow. around you know certain when we're around certain demographics cold switching that's the word you know what i mean so and these things have not been talking about we haven't talked about these things if we want to if we want to talk about systemic racism or or white supremacy or inequality, we have to talk about these things that we consider little. The side effect of all these things does play a role in how we function in society. You cannot ignore it. Yeah, it's there, it's real. You can see, and you can see it, the, the pillars of, of the Jim Crow era, you know, all over the place. If you're, if you're taught to look, you know, and it takes, I, I have just been started to learn to look myself. Right. Uh, and it takes, uh, it takes education. Uh, and it takes conversations like these to start to look for the side, the Jim Crow side effect. Right. Uh, that exists in our, in our society. And, and so, man, thanks for bringing I mean, that re- re- Real quick, re- yeah. real quick. If you don't, I mean, you have black people talking about doing an interview for a job on the phone and they have to talk a certain way. They have to talk a certain way or they have to do an affidavit to change their name. So it sounds more corporate American-ish or more white American-ish that they can be accepted. All these that affect the Jim Crow and we're not talking about it. You know, so I just wanted to, I just wanted to throw that out there. Dan, roll it up. Let's hear more. Our sisters go missing and we down on the daily Some kill for the down sink I'd rather tell the truth while kicking this rhyme straight Half the people illiterate Can't read or write Try to enlighten them They tell you we don't need your light See how early we leave college Straight up to the gig We don't get to graduate We get trade up to the league We no second plan Hoping we got it made into a gig We need more doctors and lawyers Politicians and that If you feel this in your heart Then I'm probably kicking the back to shape and Okay, stop Man, that's a, a whole lot. lot. That's a man, whole lot. I, to I know, man. I could say, okay, stop every line, and this, this show would go on for about five hours. Right. Boy, there's a whole lot to unpack. unpack. You are 100% right. So, I mean, I think right now in, in this section, you're starting to, to dive into the inequality in, in education and how that plays a big role. Tell me about this line here. Um, it says, we don't get to graduate. We get to trade up to the league. We know second plan. So we don't get to graduate. We get trade up to the league. We know second plan, hoping we got it made and do it big. So that that very, I was watching the draft from, I think, was it, was it last year? I think the it NBA was draft? A, NBA draft from last year. And even the NFL, you know, looking, because all these things, Regardless of how it has been changed or taken a new name or or a new face, you can still, if you go back to slavery, 
during the auction block where you know they would sell people you know you know there there are certain things you know there are certain things that they look out for is he strong is he healthy is he how 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 mentally strong is he you know they would look out for all these things now fast forward we're talking about it's either you're coming from a you're coming from an environment where like i said it's not a lot of opportunity and the only option you get to make it in life is either you, instead of your, your entertainer or entertainer in a sense, it's, it's either you're a musician or you're playing basketball. This are, these are things that are very you know, prominent in people, uh, people of color community. So that, that, that lyrics, even if you have the chance to go to school, to, to actually gain proper education that can, you know, better your life. Because you're coming from a situation where you're coming from a very disadvantaged position where your family probably don't have a lot. You know, they did the best they can to send you to school. Now, the reason they send you to school is also to see that you got talent. You can play basketball. Now the school and the league see this thing. They know who they want in the league and they know who they don't want. They see the prospect of every, you know, um, from high school to college student, they see it. You know, so you get given the opportunity to either go pro, go to the NBA or go to school. And even going to school, you know, it's hard. Like you cannot, you gotta pay, if, if eventually you graduate, maybe you take student loan, you gotta pay back these things. Now it's not guaranteed that even if you go to school, you can be successful in life. It's no guarantee. Now, so it's, but, but one thing that, that's a guarantee is if you make it to the NBA, whether you're, whether you're playing or sitting, or sitting on the bench, you know you're getting a fat check, right? And you can use that to better your family and, and, and do right by yourself. So that, that, that lyrics that says, um, we get trade up to the league because we're coming from a place of no opportunity. We see the, slight of op the slightest chance or the slightest opportunity to make money, which is to go pro. So I got to cut school. I'm not going to school. I want to play pro basketball which is, it's, it's not a bad thing. You can still play pro basketball and still go to school later on when you're done playing basketball. But when you're young at a certain age where the mind function the way it's supposed to compared to when you hit a certain age, there, there are certain times you're supposed to, from what I've studied and some of the research that I've done, there's certain time you're supposed to go to school. But when you don't, because of, you're coming from a, a, a situation where you don't have a lot of opportunity. You want to make money fast so you can help your parents. So you cut school and get drafted to the NBA so you can do something you love and as well play basketball. So that's the, you know, we don't get the graduates because a lot of these basketball players, they don't, they don't graduate because they cut school, right? And they get drafted into the league. So that's where that lyrics came from, you know, just from watching draft and 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 doing a lot yeah. of research, right? Yeah, and and probably 
I mean, for every, for every person that makes it into the league, we know that's just the, you know, that's that there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of kids that that was their, their aspiration. And they, they looked like they're all there. Probably the way they thought was the only way out and probably maybe was in those, in those situations. And I think that really speaks to that as like, we don't have a second chance. Like where, right. where, you, where the way you put that is like, this right. is our one chance. We're putting it all, all of our eggs in this basket. And, right. and, and man, the way you put that, when you compared the NBA draft to the slave auction and to, you know, c- comparing these guys measurables and, you know, we know this is, there's just a bunch of uh, rich white billionaires behind this. Right. And yeah, it, that the way you described that just really hit home and you know sure these guys are going to make get their check but they're going to be making you know millions and millions of dollars for the owners of these teams and they can be traded at any time for any given different city or anything you know you know it, it just goes like i said it just goes back to you know being in the plantation working pig and cotton right you could if you could get you could get you could get bought by another plantation owner if maybe you know your 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 slave master don't want you anymore. He could sell you to somebody else's. You know, I look at it the same way. You know, it don't matter how great or how good you are, except maybe your LeBron James or the Steph Curry people that have you know the bigger brand and the bigger names. The rest of the other people you can get trade just like you know they used to do it back in the days with no regard for you as a human being, you know what I mean? So I try to, I try to paint a picture, you know, on, on that very lyric right there. I try to tell that story just to bring yeah. attention to it, you know, cause yeah. half the time it goes over a lot of people head, you know? Roll it up, Dan. Okay, stop. Man, again, so much to unpack there, man. Like I, we read, as I was reading these, there's so many moments where I'm like, man, that is just powerful and, and talented and to pack so much into saying so, you know, into so few words is right. is really i'm gonna ask you this time okay what what are what are the, the some spots right there that uh that ins- that were inspired to to deliver those lyrics are there any in that section that like you want to talk about i'm trying to take it back to you know the only job they had was provided by that they rather get some brain they love that broad knowledge can't pay back silent mate because we can't afford college you know we're talking about also now you know, you have this generation where we're trying asking Biden to forgive student loans because, you know, it could, you know, we're talking about people that come from low income community and how it could bridge the, um, the economic gap, you know, between the two demographic. And most people believe that if, if student loan forgiveness can be granted, it could be a start, you know, to bridge the gap, right? Because yeah. a lot of people, Though they don't graduate from school, they're still working hard to pay back student loans. And most people cannot pay back student loans. So 
you know, I wanted to, you know, also talk about that. Can't pay back Salome because we can't afford college. Around here, the stakes is always high. So we bang. Now that part is, is talking about the gang culture in the community where most people, the only thing they have from our community is the gang lifestyle, the gang culture, because you know, some of them don't don't have their father and their mother at home. It's either they're in jail or they're constantly working two jobs or three jobs trying to catch up and are not around to take care of this young people or this young kids. So when this young kids go out and start to mingle around other people who are already gang affiliated, they tend to build like a family ties with this gang. And that becomes the only thing that, that, that they care about. The most important thing in their life is to wrap their sets or their flag or their color, nothing else matter, which also leads to destruction because your, your, your life could get caught short. You could die in the process of all this thing. So I wanted to talk about that and how, yeah. if you listen, I say, you know, screaming, you know, to hell with the door and screaming, cut the, I don't want to use the word screaming, cut the law. They rather leave and die for the gangs. Now you have police coming in, you know, to, to most times they're not even coming to, to make sure there's peace in the community, but they are coming to look for situations that could provide them the opportunity to arrest people and take them to jail. They're not looking for a way to de-escalate the gang culture or look for a way to provide opportunity for young people that they may be able to elevate and look that beside, yeah. beside gang, there's more to life, there are more opportunity. So I wanted to talk about that because people in the community, I got to the point where they're like, you know, they don't care anymore. So it's the hell with the police. Like we don't love the police. We don't, you know, they know, we know they don't love us. So we don't love them. If we see them, you know, it's gun blazing and all that, you know, and all that. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about, you know, the gang culture in the community and all that. Well, and, you know, well, when you talk about that, the stakes are so high, right? Um, what, Around here, the stake are always high, so they so they bang. Um, right. You know what I think about. You know, my situation where I am in life, and there, there is a little. There's intergenerational wealth that has been accumulated in in my family. Right. Mm -hmm. So you know, like it, in any situation for me, the stakes are not that high. Like if I miss a paycheck, like I got people to go to. You know, right. if I got fired from a job or I mean, I'm self-employed now, if, you know, a pandemic took my business, I, I have a place to live. I have right. food to eat. I have because I have intergenerational wealth. The stakes are never they, the stakes in my life have never been high. I've never had to, to even think about making a decision to, you know, to commit a crime to put food on my table. I just, I've never had to do that. I've never had to look for an outside source to, to lift, to lift me like a gang. And, and the way you described that in that moment just made me really realize privilege that, that I have versus the, what you're describing in these lyrics. Right. Right. You see, you, you I think you kind of took the word out of my mouth. You know, you, you were able to articulate it. 
I'll always, you know, I'll always talk about places like New York City where I've been around, you know, like Brooklyn, where I've seen, I've seen some of these things. And not just that, if I could take it back to Nigeria, you know, where we also have this culture, you know, we, we, we have these things where it's either, it's either you're on the streets or if you come from a, a privileged family, then either you're going to college, right? So your, your back is constantly on the wall. And I've seen these things. Now I've seen, I've, I've had experience. And sometimes I've been in situations where it was the music that saved me because I'm in a place doing a show and this gang bang is, this gang bang is coming and they are robbing everybody. They are sticking everybody up, taking people's wallets, phones, jewelry. And they see me and they're like, nah, nah, nah. Because then I used to go by the name Austin Street. They're like, nah, that's street. Let, let him be. You know, don't, you know, don't do no harm. No, just let him, you know. The music always has always been there to like get me out of situations, you know, because oh. they know they know what I'm about. And I do have friends that are in the street also. You know, so uh, your back is constantly against the wall. The stake is always high because you got to do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do, you know, to, to survive the harsh conditions that you find yourself. You yeah. know, so I just wanted to For talk sure. about that on that, you know, their lyrics. Yeah. All right, Dan. Let's hit this last last one up. The world, we got a bone of people say to white privilege for the kids to the slave master. We will live for dead designer hit the great fast. There's a setup. And we ain't meant to survive. Look how far we don't came. We made it to the slave surprise. Though the prophecy says we all been to a prize. Spread the word, let it be known the heavens have to survive. Right here, live in the flesh. That's real. Volume one. Yeah. Wow, man. I mean, I I, I, I kind of jumped the gun there because their next lyric was was about me, white privileged kids, um, uh, <laughs> white privilege for kids of the slave master. Read that next line for me, uh, uh, August. We were, right. we were left for dead. White, white privilege for the kids of the slave master. We were left for dead. Designer hit the grave faster. Man. It's a setup. We ain't meant to survive. But look how far we done came. We made it to this length. You surprised? You know, so. <laughs> that part where you said we're left for dead, designer right. hit the grave faster. That's, that's literal. That's literal. That's literal. And also it's literal, but it's also spiritual and 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 spiritual in a sense that mentally the it all it boils down back to slavery. There were times where people like me in America were not allowed to read. Right? And we know having an education helps make you a civilized human being right? When you have an education, you're being exposed to knowledge and knowledge means to know, or when you have a, a quickness to certain 
uh, information or, 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 or certain subject matter. So when certain people are not allowed to have that or to read or to write, there was a time in America where these things were a reality. So fast forward to you know the lyrics, we were left for dead. I'm talking about once again, you free the slave, right? Now that you free the slave, with no opportunity, with no, with no nothing, right? Now I will, yeah. I will, I will, I will channel that back to this modern town, but I want to take it back to then. They free the slaves, but remember, you promised them uh, forty acres of land and a mule, right? It was a promise you made to them, but till this day, it is that promise has never been fulfilled. Whereas, you know. Every other person, you have immigrants that come from Europe. If we want to talk about the, um, let me let me drift off a little bit real quick on the song the plantation, the plantation, uh, the tales, the plantation tales, a song that I wrote. I talk about the the indentured servitude, the 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 prisoners that came from Europe, right? And we're gonna how, end this. We're gonna end this podcast play, playing that whole song if we could. Can we do that? <laughs> okay, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And I, I, the reason I wanted to talk about that because it, it has a connection to that lyrics that I said we were left for dead. Mm-hmm. Now, when they come here, they're prisoners. You give them an opportunity that they can work for so and so for an amount of years. They can work for maybe five years or maybe six years, and after that they have the same right and privilege of everybody else's in the, in the country. And they come, they work in the plantation with the slaves and, you know, every other person. And then as soon as they work and fulfill, you know, uh, their part of the bargain, they are free. Now they have every right as you do. Now they can take loans. They have, you can, they, they're exposed to every kind of privilege compared to, you know, the slaves when they were free they were never given the opportunity to have the same privilege that the indentured servitude have. So they were literally left for dead. And they, it was hard. It was hard. Some of them went back to slavery because um, you have, because um, what's the name of this law? Um, where if you lo- loiterers are not, there are certain places you're not allowed to oh, go yeah. to. If you, if you go, you get arrested. And during then you walk in a place you're not allowed to, you get arrested and you go back into slavery. Right. So now into prison, you know, prison. No slaves. option. Yeah. Right. No options. Right. So we were, we were left for dead. The promise that you made that you were going to give our people 40 acres of land and a mule, you never fulfill that promise. So, you know, that, that's where the analogy of, you know, uh, Frederick, Frederick Douglass would say, raise yourself up from your bootstrap. You know what I mean? And, and, and all that other stuff. He was really tough for our people. We were left for dead because we weren't meant to make it this far. We weren't meant to make it this far, but somehow, you know, we're, we're very resilient people and some of the hardship that we go through kind of give us more energy to survive in any situation, you know, coupled with Jim Crow. And during the time that they were lynching black people, 
because you know you're not considered human beings. So we were left for dead. You have no rights. The law does not protect you. It protect only a certain demographic. You know, so it's either kill or be killed. You know, whatever you do, yeah. you're gonna die anyway. You're gonna go to jail. You're gonna go back to slavery. You don't have any opportunity. You don't have any rights, no civil rights, no nothing. Yeah. So we were literally left for dead, you know, no, with no knowledge, no education, except, you know, most people that were lucky enough to have like slave masters that, you know, give them a little education. You know, so combine all these things together, fast forward to the times where the slaves were free, fast forward to Jim Crow, all these things, this mentality and all this trauma that they went through is still a burden in the minds of, you know, black and not just black people, but brown people in America. And, you know, I just wanted to highlight that and, sure. you know, talk about that situation. I mean, I could go on and on, but yeah. I'm just leave it at that for now. These lyrics are, are powerful. They're deep. And I want to know where they, where they came from, right? Like I want to, I want to know about, about August and how you got to be this person uh, we learned so much on the show from people's experiences. And w so where did this passion to come from to, to deliver this music and, and these lyrics in a way that uh, uh, teaches so much? Like, right. like we just learned, I, I can't even, like what we just went through and what we just learned by going through those lyrics is so much. So where did, your, where did that come from? What are experiences in your life led you to this be this person you are today who is fighting this fight through your through your music i got i was blessed you know i was blessed to come from a family where you know my mom and dad were were the most amazing human beings i ever know and my brothers and my sisters i want to give a special shout out to my brother uh alexandra Carter or also known as Brainchild. One of the reasons I started rapping was because Brainchild was so in love with hip hop. You know, also knowing that we come from a house where there was constantly music in the background. But my big brother, Brainchild, Brainchild was, was, a, was a huge fan of hip hop music. We started listening to the Tupacs, the Snoop Dogg, the Jay-Z, the Rakim, the Nas, and all this, the, you know, the Chuck D, the public enemy, and all these people that are not just talking about glamour or, or, or gangsterism, but they were actually talking about, you know, what's going on in the world and in the society. And my big brother was listening to all these people and I kind of soak it up. I kind of soak it up just watching him and his friends rap into you know, Tupac or maybe Nas or Jay-Z. And he's also an artist. So I start I started, that's where that's where the, the passion came from. And also to add to that, my, my my dad, my dad went to was it Netherlands or Belgium one time and he came back and he brought a, a Michael Jackson. I think Michael Jackson did a concert then and he brought a Michael Jackson tape. And they 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 would play that, and I would sit down in front of the in front of the TV, watching Michael Jackson, seeing all the charity 
that he does for, you know, kids and adoption and kids that come from, you know, on the privileged home situation or people that live in, you know, poor countries. I will watch all these things. And when I listen to his lyrics, I will see people literally pass out, faint, you know, just watching Michael Jackson, listening to the song. One song that always, one song that left the mark of me was um, uh, Man in the Mirror. Man in the Mirror. So I would constantly watch him perform that song. I would sit down. Sometimes I would go dressed like Michael Jackson, put on a white t-shirt, a black pants. I used to have penny loafers. I still wear my penny loafers still today. I will, you know, watch him. So I kind of soak up, I kind of soak up all these things, you know, I think that that's where that's where the desire came from loving the arts of writing and and telling stories through music that I can be able to educate people, you know. And you come from a is it a, is a big family? You said brothers and sisters. I, I come from yeah, big family. I come from a big family where I have I have three sisters, with nine in total. You know, so three I'm sisters the last and kid. so three sisters and 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 six brothers. Is it three six boys anyway? Six boys, yeah, six boys. Six boys, five brothers. Right. Five that brothers. is a big family. It's a big family, and you know, in Africa, we 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 live with our cousins and our nephews in the same house. We all live together. You know, if so, my cousins and my you know other people, my nephews, they all live with us in the same house. So it was a big family. It, it was, it, it is, man, it is, it is beautiful. You know, just thinking about it, going back, you know, through memory, just going through memory, uh, memory lane and having mental pictures of everything. It's, it, you know, it's beautiful. And it, it's all those things that kind of, that kind of build up to, you know, where I am today. And I just, I always, I always ask, I always know how to tell a story in school when I was in high school. And even in the community that I live, I was known for telling, for telling stories. I was very good at that. So I try to look for a way that I could apply that in the music. So August, you got you got a family of nine in Nigeria, um, living there. How how many years were you in Nigeria? Till I was twenty three years old or twenty four was when I came to the United States. Wow. You know because. I li- yeah, I literally lived my whole life in you know in Nigeria. I lived in Ghana also for a while, and um, you know, so yeah, twenty three. I, I think twenty three. Give 24. me a give me a feel for what life is like for you and your family there. Like, I, I, like are uh, is is it a, are you is it a wealthy place? Is it not? I mean, you talk about living with your whole family there. Like, t- give me a feel for what. Is it is it is it in poverty or is it is there this dynamic like we see in America? Is it kind of like like where there's inequality and there's some place you know? Tell me, give me a dynamic of what that's like there. I mean, you know, you know, just like every civilized society, there's you know there's 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 a pyramid scheme. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? There's you know uh, social class where you know you have the you know, the, 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 the first class, the middle class and people at the bottom, you know, the same, I could say the same for, you know, Nigeria, where, you know, where I came from. My dad was working with Shell, uh, petroleum company, Shell Petroleum, 
And basically what he does was um, they transport um, crude oil, petroleum products through, uh, you know, um, they, they call, we call them sailors back home, marine engineers, that's what we call them. So I came, from, I came from, you know, when I was young, I came from a very, I could see I came from a very, you know, should I say middle class where sure. we, were, we, were, we were better off, you know, we, we, we were better, we were, we were fine. And then it got to a point where it was kind of hard after, I think after my dad, you know, retired and it kind of, you know, you know, it, it also played a role in what happened with, you know, the situation with my brother. So, you know, like I said, just like every civilized country or, you know, society, there's a, you know, you have the first class, the middle class and people at the bottom. So, you know, it goes, there are certain places that you will go, you know, it's straight up impoverished. And, you know, there are certain places that you go, you'll be like, wow, like, it's like, you know, you're leaving in paradise. You know what I mean? Like, you know, so, you know, it's a balance, you know. I don't know if yeah. I answer your question. For sure. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, when I was talking to you earlier, you talked a little bit about how music kind of saved you um, during dark times. Right. Um, tell us about that. Tell us about those dark times and how music brought you out of them. So um, I think this is back around. Um, this is this is the hardest. This is you know the most trying, the most hardest time in my life, and this is like back in two thousand and fourteen or two thousand two thousand and fourteen fifteen. Um, I was here, and you know I, I I wasn't rapping at the time. I was I didn't want to rap because. You know, I, I I had a I had a music career from Nigeria before I left it and come back here, come over here. Mind you, I, I signed a record deal. So when I had my admission, you signed a record school, deal in in Nigeria. In or? Nigeria, I had a record okay. deal. Yeah, so you had a career had a, going back there. Right, right. I had a record deal. So when I had my admission, I didn't want to come. I'm like, I'll be working so hard for this. And now that I have my record deal, I gotta go to school. You know, Wait, so tell me, was, tell me about that a little bit. Tell me about this. Like, so you, you're trying, you get, you're working a career, but you were also trying to uh, go to the states. And was your family trying to come? And, and tell me a little bit about that situation. I just, I just got back from mission because I, I, I was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saint, and right in Nigeria. In Nigeria, I served the mission. And I just got back. And where did you, you know, serve mission? I served in Nigeria and in you know Ghana, Accra, where you know I did the NTC training and all that stuff. You know, so um, I just got back from mission. I left. I had a record deal. My I had a record deal when my mission call came, right? So I had to put down my mission call. I mean, I had to put that. I had to put down the record deal, though I'd already signed it. I'm like I gotta go. I gotta go serve the Lord. You know what I mean? I was. It's something that I was looking forward to. <laughs> I did that too, man. I went. I went to England, bro. <laughs> oh yeah, you did. <laughs> I did. But anyway, did. <laughs> anyway, it, it was something that I was so you know passionate about at the time. I had to put down the record deal that I've been working 
so hard to have. And now I have it. I'm like, you guys can work with my crew. I'm going to do something I feel it's more important to me right now. So I went on a mission. And whilst I was on a mission, I had friends who were from, you know, California. So you I went had, from your mission had, to from Nigeria to Ghana? Is that right? Right. Or was it? Right. To okay. MTC. So you, you right. went to the MTC in Ghana. And we would talk about, we you know, we would just talk about life after mission, what we're going to do. And we started talking about school. And even when I left the MTC in Accra and came back to Nigeria to serve, you know, we were constantly, you know, venturing about what we're going to do after mission, right? How far away were you from home, from your mission? Because like, you know, for missionaries in Utah, we like, you know, like I I went to England, but like you, I I did have some English companions that were like only like a few hours away from home. Were you, was you, were like you pretty close to home? I was blessed. I was so lucky. <laughs> so the first, the, the the first place that I served in Nigeria was called Delta States, right? And my elder brother and my elder sister leave there. So, and I was in the same ward with my really? elder brother. So I would constantly see my elder brother. And That's fast forward awesome. to the last place I served before I, I went home was my uncle. My uncles owns the missionary apartments. So I was at home. I felt at home the whole time because, you know, sometimes my mom, though we're not allowed, but my mom wanted to see me sometime, you know, she would, you know, she would come, she would travel nice. just to come via the service to see me. So I was blessed right. enough to, you know, to, yeah. I think it was like an hour drive. The places that I served was an hour drive to Garden City, where I'm from, Po'akut in Nigeria, River State. So it was an hour drive all the places that I served. So I was close mm. to home, yeah. though I was a little bit far away, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> okay. So where does that story go? Where does that lead? <laughs> Keep going. So, so, so we would constantly, we would constantly talk, talk about, you know, um, what we want to do after mission. And I'm like, yo, I had a record deal. Cause even while I was on mission, I will, I would do songs. Mind you, did you do? Was, did would, you do like some me, LDS hip hop, bro? Me, I can't. You've got to have some of that recorded right now. I we, <laughs> I have got to, you know, hear some of this. I can't wait. I cannot wait. I tell. Let me tell you this story real quick. It's a very short story. I was teaching an investigator, right? In the radio, there's a song playing, and I and they, and I I'm listening. It's my song playing on the radio. What? I'm like what? <laughs> I'm like, what? That's my song playing on the radio. My companion was like, what'd you say? That's my song. You know, and we started, you know, we started talking about, I think it kind of helped the situation. The the investigator was even more interested in, you know, hearing the message after that. But we were constantly talking about, you know, what we wanted to do after mission. And as soon as I got done, I got back home, being the last kid in the family, you know, um, I had a lot of my, you know, my parents took care of me a lot. And, you know, they're like, you got to go to school. And, you know, my elder brother also helped, you know, during the process of, you know, the application because he had a son already leaving here in, I think, in Orem Provo. And we did the old admission thing. And I got my admission in UVU. And now when I had my admission, I had another record deal. So I'm now, I'm stuck in between the same situation that I had before I went on a mission. I'm like, what do I do now? Do I, 
do I leave everything? Because I was doing well with the music back home. Yeah. You know, I was starting to build, I was having the momentum where, you know, I was starting to, you know, be better off. So I'm like, should I go to school or should I continue with the music? I made up my mind to stay and do the music. And it was my brother that was like, you know, you know, we've already spent a lot of money, you know, doing all these things. And I know you want to do this music. How about you just go, just go, you know, just go do your visa interview. This is this is how much I didn't want to come. This is how much. I'm going to just be honest. This is how much I didn't want to come. My interview was for 8 a.m. in the morning. I got I got to the embassy 10 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> 10 a.m. in the showed morning. Up, showed up an hour and a half late for your, for your visa. For my you interview. Really, you I, really didn't want to come. I didn't want to come. So I went. I passed through all the security, you know, checkup that I had to go through. So I sat down where I'm supposed to be. And, you know, when it was my turn, they called my name. I did the interview and, you know, they told me I was qualified. I'm like, what? I was, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't want to come. I wasn't expecting it. I did everything I could not to get this thing. And they gave it to me. I'm like, what? And that's the story. That's how I got here. So you you had this decision, like, and you had a you know music career going. Right. Um, do you have regrets about coming? Um, I do. I do have regrets. I do have regrets, but sometimes, you know, I, I still feel like you know this was God's will. I mm. regret in the sense that I felt like if I if I didn't come here my brother would still be alive, like my immediate elder brother, you know, cause I also felt like, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, he died. I, and this is just me, this is my guilt. I felt like, you know, people felt like our friends, people that we knew felt like I was in the United States, having fun, making a lot of money, giving it to my brother. They went home, you know, robbed the house and he got killed in the process. So this is my guilt sometimes. So you know, man, I felt like if I didn't heavy. come here, if I didn't come here, he probably would still be alive. You know, this is somebody that where where you know where, where this close. You know, he's the closest to me, the entire family. So, you know, when I lost him, he kind of sent me on a downward spiral. I was in the darkest place for a long time when I was here. Like I lost focus in school. I couldn't do nothing, and. You know, so that's the only that's that's the regret that I have. But also, you know, I look at it from a also different perspective. Also, that it's a blessing. Wow, I was you know I I thought maybe you'd have regrets about uh, not being able to pursue your music career, but you know that that's a heavy thing. That's a heavy thing, you know. And uh, obviously, I know like deep down, you know, it's not like your fault that your brother's not here. But like that's 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 a lot, man. Tell you know, me as you were dealing with that, you know. So you were here in the states. Did, were, did you get to go back for services for your brother? Did you get? I couldn't. I couldn't go back because my mom. My mom was scared. Because then again, I was. I was thinking about. I was thinking about vengeance. I was thinking about revenge. That was the yeah. only thing that was in my mind. Because I was talking to my friends. In New York, my friends in California, they're like, yo, we could just we could just go 
do a job and get back in. I was also talking to my people, to my friends from Nigeria, my people in the street, like, yo, if you give us the word, we would do the job. You know, and my mom, word had gotten to my mom, like this was the plot that we're having. She's like, you know what? I don't want you here because I don't want to lose you. We already lost your brother. You know, I, I don't want to lose you. So stay there, stay where you are. And, you know, just, just be there and be safe. You know, so yeah, you know. And what was, so you're going through it, you're going through obviously a hard time uh, at that time. Um, did, did music play a part in, in lifting you out of that? The music played a big role. And I think just doing, just doing service to other people, because the, the two things that actually helped me were number one, just writing. I had a journal that I was constantly writing into my experience. And I would also write like some of my lyrics in there. So I was constantly writing and just doing, I would go to like detention centers to visit, you know, young people and just talk to them, see how I could, you know, inspire them. Or I will, I will go to like, you know, rehabilitation center and do like, you know, do like shows for people who are, you know, just, you know, coming from drug addicts and, you know, just, I, I would constantly put myself in a situation where I could, you know, just serve people and through my music and I was writing a lot. And, you know, that's, that's one thing that helped me. And also, I don't want to skip that. It was three things, the music and service and the desire to learn. I wanted to, during that period, I was in a dark place, but there was a desire to gain more knowledge when I wasn't going to school. So I was constantly going to the, I was constantly go, I would go to public libraries to get books, to read. I would like do research, you know, just random stuff. And this what this were the kind of, this was where it kind of kept me afloat to a place where I was able to, even though it took me a while, it took me to like close to two or three years to come out from that dark place. But it was these things that I was doing that kind of, you know, spark a light, you know, and kind of kept me in the right direction and brought me out. I tell you what, you know, I, I can learn a lot from your experience because when people go through hard times, it's not always that they look outside themselves, particularly when something that happened to you and to your family, you know, that's a pretty hard thing to want to uh, look outside yourself and serve others other, you know, human beings when it was, you know, human beings that hurt you and, and, and sent you into that place. Right. So uh, that's a, that's a hard thing to do. And, and, you know, we got a lot to learn from, from that, that kind of service and you, how you utilize that to, to find your, your passions. Uh, I think that's just really neat. How'd you get in? How'd you end up in Ogden? Is this where so, you Yeah. So yeah, the, the Ogden story, um, because, you know, um, I was going to school in Orem, in UVU. And, you know, during summertime, I would go to New York. And, you know, when it's like break, if I have like spring break, I would go to New York and come back. And then, you know, I let him move on. I let him move to Ogden because my nephew was going to school down in Weber States. And I would always come here to visit. And, you know, we would just move around. 
and when I move around, Ogden kind of have that, it has a, that, that greedy, I, I could feel that greedy kind of, you know, like New York, I, I could feel it. I'm like, man, this place sure feel like home, you know what I mean? And I wanted to be here. So I kind of settled down in Ogden. And also even after I, when I got married, you know, me and my family moved down here. So yeah, yeah. That's, how, that's how I got, that's how I got here in Ogden. I came to visit and, you know, I just, just like Joe, my queen, I came to visit and I stayed. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. Well, I, I, I tell you what, our community is uh, really, really lucky to have you as a part of it. And, I, and, and it was even recognized, right, by the mayor. Yeah. Tell me what are, what, what are your passions right now um, as we're sitting uh, in the midst of a pandemic uh, after a, a, a last summer's events dealing with uh, social unrest around race and police and at that intersection uh what what I, obviously you're doing such awesome work with your music and your lyrics what are the things you're passionate about and thinking about right now so one thing that i'm very passionate about right now is i feel like i have something that other that, that other people need i feel like this little wisdom knowledge and understanding that god has blessed me with i feel like i need to pass it to i'm not i'm not now that now that i don't care about older people i do care about older people but you know they say you know the youth are the are the, are the leaders for tomorrow and if if you can plant a seed in the mind of the youth you can be able to you know grow a tree that could bring about change in a community so i'm more i'm, I'm more focusing entertainment and education I try to apply them in hip hop. There's something called edutainment mm. where you mix the like word, that. you know, between education and entertainment to, to bring people excitement and at the same time, educate them in the process. And you're not just giving them random information, but you're giving them something that they could benefit from that they could use on their everyday life. So that's where, that's something that I'm very passionate about right now, just being to being able to educate and also just being an activist in the community is something that I've been passionate about, working with uh, Northern Chapter Black Lives Matter and, you know, and every other organization that I can work with. I'm very passionate about these things, you know, because it gives me the opportunity to serve in the community. You, you mentioned there uh, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, and I know those are, are, are important words to you. And that, that that knowledge we gain we gain a lot here uh, at community spread from hearing from other people's experiences people allows us to step out of our experience and and you've done that for us today and hopefully we can turn that into wisdom where we can start to apply that uh into our lives some of the things we learn from you we can apply it and right. and and bring understanding by sharing it to others and um you know and that understanding is what could really spread community, which can really, you know, bring our community together in an important way. So I think you're doing really important work and I just really appreciate it. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Dana. I appreciate you guys. Community spread, stay watching. <laughs> Yo, hey, oh, and we are gonna leave you uh, with some, you called that, what was that word you said with the education and entertainment? Edutainment. We're gonna, we're gonna send you out with some edutainment. I can't say it. <laughs> some of that with August's uh, 
<laughs> another piece of August's work so you guys can listen uh, and learn and just enjoy his music. And and real quick, I got I got some, I'm working on some project. I got some new stuff coming on. I got a lot of music I'm just sitting on right now. So, you know, uh, everybody should, you know, look out and just, I appreciate whatever support I could get when I start putting out this, uh, putting out this material. So how do we do that? How do we do that? How um, do we support you? Well, I have, I have a Facebook page under the name August the Great and it's spelled A-W-E-G-U-S-T-T-H-G-E-G-R-E-A-T, August the Great. You can we'll find post me the link to, we'll post the links to the show notes. Where else? Where else can we find you? SoundCloud, uh, SoundCloud YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find, awesome. you can find my handle on all this uh, social media platforms. And, and so like when this music comes out, how do we support you when, when in, in doing that? Do we, we can, how, do we, how do we support you? What do we do? It's going to be on all streaming platforms from Tidal to Apple listen Music and share. to Spotify. Yeah, listen and share. And, you know, just listen, listen and share. You know, that's all, that's all I can ever ask for, you know. All right. Will do, man. Thanks again. Thank you. I appreciate you. And that's it for the pod today. Want to thank August the Great for coming on and sharing his experience with us, giving us some insight to the lyrics that have been this podcast. And just want to thank him so much for sharing his gift with us every time you hear this show. Also want to thank Decker Yazzie for our artwork and Dan Martinez on the back end making this podcast work. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. Give us a rating on iTunes. That really helps. Share the podcast with a friend. And we just really appreciate all those who are listening. Have a great day. Yeah. From 25th History Street, that might happen a Greyhound tripping all the way to Salt Lake City, the playground. Like, you know I'm a vibe tenebrae. Let me welcome everybody to this live scenery. It's beautiful. What are you telling me? These thought-provoking dreams that you're selling me, and I should be locked up for the melody. Making music like this should be a felony. The sunshine, blue sky, shit is lit out here, boy. I can't even wait to get out there. It's a happy celebration, and we like the party. We came to have fun, don't wanna fight nobody. Street corner, freestyle, brothers, beatbox, graffiti on the wall. We got the street locked. My death boy tree game is tip top. I do it for the love and the culture of hip hop. Audio visual medicine of vibe, bro. The symphony sweeter than honey's from the hive, yo. It's something you can bump in your wheat and drive slow. We hit a lick, turn it up and keep it live, yo. I bring the light, I'm sorta like a plug in the socket. Money on my mind with love in my pocket. So much love and positive energy to share. Hate is too much of a burden for my enemies to bear. You mean mugging, trying to show you wild in the place, boy. I feel to put a smile in your face like one time get your weight out jeep with you i'll never be crooked i'll be straight up beat because this right here for the soulless medication free your mind maybe try some meditation put that lean down and all the pills you pop won't take away your troubles and all the bills you got think you're living it up i know you fell you rock you killing yourself slow brother will you stop for heaven's sake i know that you seen hell and i don't mean no disrespect i mean well i know you trying to deal your car stressing Life sometimes can teach you a hard lesson But at the end, man, we all earn the love blessing At the end, man, we all earn the love blessing I pray, yeah, huh? It cannot let a real one just put on for the city, right? Yeah, uh, I pray I leave the city day I put on for the city, right? Yeah, 
Uh, and can't let a real one just put on for the city, man.